0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed podcast. For this episode, we had the pleasure of being joined by Christopher Godfrey, who is the founder and portfolio manager of Headwaters Capital Management. Before we begin, make sure to add your email to our free newsletter. Going forward, we will also be publishing interviews with fund managers in written format, so if you want to receive these interviews directly in your inbox, go to capitalemployed.com. That's capitalemployed.com and add your email to the list. You can also find the link to the newsletter in the show notes. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Christopher. Hi Christopher, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Could you provide a brief introduction of yourself and Headwaters Capital?
1: Sure, John. I appreciate you having me on. Excited to do this. Uh, Before we get started though just need to provide a little bit of a legal disclaimer. Uh, Investing involves risks and uncertainties. Nothing discussed in this podcast represents investment advice. I advise all listeners to do their own due diligence on anything mentioned in this podcast. Mm -hmm. So with that out of the way, we'll kind of jump into everything. My background is actually in credit. I started uh, right before the great financial crisis in banking, and that provided... A lot of great experience just in terms of analyzing businesses and industries and understanding, you know, how companies, you know, could navigate a very difficult economic environment. Um, So I did that for a number of years, but I always wanted to be on the public equity side. And so I eventually made the transition to work at a large long-only mutual fund uh, where I was an analyst on two small cap funds. Both funds had a growth bias really kind of fit with my um, investment philosophy. So phenomenal career experience uh, at the Mutual Fund, learned a lot from my peers, uh, but ultimately I was a casualty of, of industry consolidation. And it was kind of a crossroads in my career, to be honest with you. I'd always wanted to start my own investment strategy and, and contrary to what a lot of people believe, you know, I, I really believe that active management could work, uh, but it just needed to be done in a very different way than traditional mutual funds. So I leveraged a lot of kind of what I learned on the buy side to create a strategy that I believe would outperform the market over a long time period. Um, it's really kind of grounded in three things that I learned on the buy side. I think the first thing that I really came to believe is that time alpha is more ripe for exploitation today than it really ever has been. So if you kind of think about that, we just have so much information at our fingertips. Uh, There's just data flow that's constantly bombarding us. and Everyone's so focused on the short term. I think it's really, really hard uh, to have an edge there. And I especially think it's hard to have a consistent edge in the short term. And I, I think another thing that makes you know, people say short-term focus is there's a lot of career risk with thinking long-term. And so kind of the result of that learning is that I just think the patience and the ability to look out multiple years uh, can really be rewarded in the public equity market. The second thing I learned on the buy side was really that the small cap space is right for stock picking and especially for compounding. You know, it's an area of the market that's not as closely followed, you're finding these companies earlier in their growth cycles. Um, And so if you can really get comfortable with a unique growth company, again, early in their life cycle, you can get some really compelling investment opportunities. Again, if you just have the patience to look out longer term. And then the third thing I learned is you've gotta make concentrated investments. So if you're gonna run an investment strategy, you need to beat the market, right? If you're gonna charge fees. And so, you know, I I think having a very concentrated strategy and high quality businesses uh, makes a lot of sense for beating the market. Um, And then the reality is, is there really just aren't that many unique growth companies um, that will outperform over a long time period. And so you should really concentrate all the investor capital in these unique businesses. I think a lot of people think that a concentrated strategy means more risk. And I actually think the opposite, right? I think if you're really, truly focused on just high quality businesses, you're actually reducing the risk of the portfolio versus if you're at a very diversified fund, you're inevitably going to be investing in some kind of lower quality companies that I think introduces more risk to the portfolio. So kind of the, the net result of, of those three learnings uh, is I started Headwaters Capital, and it's a concentrated SMIDCAP growth strategy. Uh, I've got 21 holdings right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the goal here is to tax efficiently, compound investor capital and generate returns that beat the market through cycle. So I'm trying to own pretty unique, high quality businesses. Like I said, early in the growth cycle the businesses need to have some sort of a competitive advantage so that they can actually capitalize on these high return growth opportunities. Uh, and then once I find the businesses, I just want to be patient own them as long as they are still in that growth cycle and allow them to mature, and kind of capitalize on their full potential. You know, one of the things I'll tell you know investors or potential investors is look, if I can't analyze a business, come up with a confident forecast of what the company's going to look like in five years, it's probably not worth my time. Um, And so this long-term investment approach uh, allows me to harness the power of compounding. But another benefit, and it's really just kind of an output of that long-term investment approach, is that there's inherent tax efficiency given the low turnover with the strategy.
0: Yeah, it's a great introduction. And um, most of your, uh, the 21 Stock Show Portfolio, you mostly focused on America.
1: One company uh, based in the UK, uh, but otherwise every other company uh, is domiciled in the US in that UK business. The majority of their revenue actually comes uh, here in the US. So it's, it's kind of a unique story.
0: And how do you generate? your investment ideas.
1: Yeah, that's um you know, I wish there was a easy answer there. I, I kind of just think it's an insatiable curiosity for learning, right? Um you know, there it's it's really I guess a mosaic approach, you know, to investing. So I will run quantitative screens. Um, although I, I find in the SMIDCap world that those aren't Maybe as useful as they are in the large cap world, I like to look at a lot of large cap companies and and see what big themes they're thinking about. Um, there's pattern recognition for types of companies that are that are good businesses. So it's, it's just a bunch of different ways talking to other investors, I and mean, there's just there's just no one way to do this.
0: So if we can jump into your portfolio, if we may, uh, can you talk about two stocks that you feel have great long term potential? And what was your Thesis for investing?
1: Maybe, maybe the first one uh, to talk about would be TransCat. And so it's a, a very sleepy business, 600 million market cap. Uh, they're based in Rochester, New York. I do like roll up stories in the small cap space, um, but kind of two specific types of roll up stories. So it could be M&A where, you know, you're acquiring products and services, um, that make you a more valuable partner to your customers. And I also like M&A that produces scale advantages relative, relative to your smaller competitors, which that's harder to do in the small cap space. But I think TransCat's actually kind of a unique example of that. So, so TransCat, they actually provide inspection and calibration services for instruments. And they've got a network of service centers and technicians to do all this inspection and calibration work. Uh, interestingly, they focus only on customers in in-markets where there's regulatory mandated calibration. So what does that mean? Think about like healthcare, right? The FDA is going to make sure pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies you know, have all their equipment calibrated correctly. Um, Aviation, uh, the FAA is going to regulate that. Um, Government and defense. Um, So those are kind of the three big in-markets that TransCat focuses on. And the other piece of this is it's a really high cost of failure. Sorry, these three industries are high cost of failure industries, right? So let's go back to the pharmaceutical company. You need to make sure that your machines are calibrated correctly so there's no formulation errors. Um, And the FDA actually mandates, right, that you are constantly calibrating and testing that equipment. And so the result for TransCat is they've kind of got recurring revenue to perform this inspection and calibration work. I I think maybe it's helpful to think about some representative customers here, uh, Merck. Johnson and Johnson, Parker Hannafin, just a few of, of TransCat's big customers. So kind of established, right? They've got recurring revenue here, but, but that by itself, right? Doesn't produce growth outside of maybe some small price increases. Um, I think what's, what's really interesting here is TransCat has a big growth opportunity ahead of it because a lot of its customers still do this work in house. And again, if you think about it, right? It's just not a core compet- competency for Merck to be performing all this calibration work, right? And and they honestly don't have the breadth of expertise that TransCat has. And so the trend in the industry is all these players are increasingly outsourcing the inspection and calibration work. Uh, the result actually is that TransCats had 54 consecutive quarters of organic service revenue growth. and. I expect this to continue for a very long time. So that, I guess that's the growth opportunity. And actually, you know, maybe thinking about kind of inside of that, um, a really interesting kind of piece of the TransCat story here. And this isn't what you would typically find for a growth investment. They have a very small TAM here. So TransCat actually estimates that the TAM for the global calibration market is only one point six billion dollars. What does that really mean? It means that larger competitors just aren't very interested in this market, right? There, there's no reason for a large cap or even a mid-cap company to focus on this business. And it's just it's just not big enough for them. And it actually has a similar effect on the smaller players. It's an industry where you need scale. So, you need to have the network to be able to service everybody. But again, if, if it's just not big enough for you to make a lot of investment here, it kind of keeps the smaller players from focusing on it and trying to roll it up because, again, the TAM's not big enough. So, TransCat's the industry leader here, and they've got the scale and they've got the expertise. And the result is they don't have a lot of competition at the top end of the market. So they're able to win a lot of the business, again, from these representative customers like Merck and Johnson & Johnson. And then the other impact here of that industry structure is they actually are the preferred acquirer here. So you may have a regional competitor that's good at you know, one specific service or calibration you know type of work. Transcat can then go acquire that and add it to the Portfolio, and so again, they now are—they're broadening their geographic reach, they're increasing their service capabilities, and so they become a, a more valuable partner to their customers. And so, they—it's a business that's done a lot of M and A, and I would you know expect it to continue doing a lot of M and A because they only have eight percent market share in a very fragmented industry today. That's kind of the—I guess the the industry perspective they are growing organically kind of high single digits uh, again driven by the outsourcing trend they'll complement that with some M&A's they'll probably be growing top line double digits margins will steadily improve as they get more efficient with their calibration work and they just have the natural operating leverage that comes with being a bigger business they generate it's, it's very capital light, so they generate a lot of free cash flow, and they can use that and deploy it into M&A. So kind of hopefully, like, with that background, I've, I've kind of laid out kind of like the business, the competitive advantage, the financial characteristics here. And then, like I said, there's usually a fourth piece here, which is management that I'm looking at. The CEO here. Uh, he is kind of the godfather of this service and calibration industry. So he actually founded basically the exact same business as TransCat called Davis Inatech and sold it to Danaher in 2008. That business is now a part of Fortive. It's called Tektronix. They're the second largest player in the industry. Uh, CEO obviously knows that business very well, but again, it's, it's part of a much bigger company. So it's just not a big focus for Ford. Um, so after he sold this business to Danaher, he went and worked at a company called Simco. They're actually the fourth largest player in this testing and calibration industry. Um, and then he ended up a couple of years later uh, joining TransCat. And when he joined TransCat, he was, kind of the impetus for trying to grow this service and and testing business. And so the the point of that background is, is that he knows this industry better than anybody else out there. He knows everybody in the industry. Um, and so it's it's another reason that TransCat is kind of the preferred acquirer and, and kind of roll up of, of this industry. So as I kind of think through again, back to the four pieces, we've got, good business attributes, competitive advantage. The financials look good. We've got a management team we can trust in. Now I just need to have the patience, right? To own this business and let it grow year after year. So that's the story on TransCat.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that one. And how about a second company you'd like to talk about?
1: So the second company is called UFP Technologies. Uh, This one is a $900 million market cap. Uh, They're located near Boston. This one's a little bit more of a business transformation story that I think is kind of on the cusp of becoming a compounder. It doesn't quite have the history, and I think that's really the opportunity right now. So UFP, they actually design, develop, and manufacture custom-engineered components and devices and, and packaging, and it's primarily all for the medical device in the market. Think about the company. They've got manufacturing expertise in the form of they're very good with specialty materials. Uh, they have a lot of specialized manufacturing equipment for molding. And they've got FDA clean rooms so they can manufacture stuff in a sterile environment. Obviously, all this is you know very important to uh, the medical device market. Maybe some representative products here. So they do surgical robotic drapes. They've got some vascular tools. They've got wound therapy. Uh, they've got some orthopedic products. Um, just kind of a range of, of items in uh, the medical device and market. So I mentioned it's, it's a little bit of a transformation story. So I think it's interesting to go back and kind of look at the company's history. Uh, very interesting. They actually developed a, a cross-linked foam. That was the insole of Nike running shoes a long time ago. And Nike actually told them that their products were too durable, meaning that they would not wear out. And so customers weren't replacing their shoes as often as Nike would like. So, two things there. You know, one, I think UFP realized the value of, of their manufacturing and materials expertise. But two, Nike ended up moving that business offshore. And so the CEO realized this is kind of an existential threat to his business. He had a lot of exposure to the consumer in market, um, a lot of exposure to packaging, just like very commoditized things. And so he, in 2014, he made a decision. He said, we we've got good manufacturing expertise with a bunch of different materials that can be very valuable. To our customers, we're going to focus on some key end markets. So we're going to focus on healthcare. Uh, we're going to focus on military, uh, and, and they've got a little bit of automotive, but but that's a very small piece of the portfolio today. The result is now they have exposure to a healthcare industry, right? That is just a much better end market to serve, right? So. When UFP gets designed into a product, it has to be FDA approved. So there's very high switching costs once UFP gets designed into this product. You've got long product life cycles, so kind of seven plus years. Uh, These products have steady demand um, because they're consumable generally. So you think about like kind of single use or single patient uh, devices Um, and, and the medical procedures are just not... Really deferable for very long. So um, that also creates recurring revenue. And then obviously, you've just got secular growth from the healthcare and market just from an aging population. They did this huge portfolio transformation, starts in 2014 when healthcare was only 35% of revenue. They took kind of four years to consolidate facilities, invest in upgrading their manufacturing capabilities, uh, the ERP upgrade. All that's to say, look, You know, revenue stagnated for a while. Margins were under pressure. You know, the stock just didn't do well for a number of years. But I think it really highlights the long-term focus of this management team. Like they knew they had to make some tough decisions, punish the business in the short term to be in a better place longer term. And so after they did all that kind of consolidation and rationalization in 2018, they did a big acquisition of a company called Dielectric's Um, It brought them some more specialized manufacturing capabilities in the medical end market, um, and it increased their healthcare concentration to about 60%. And so they do that in 2018, kind of getting that thing integrated in 2019, and then COVID hits, right? And so they've done a really good job of repositioning the portfolio, but obviously a lot of these elective procedures and just general medical procedures took it on the chin, So the market's kind of not really seeing what's happened at UFP. So COVID's a headwind for 2020 and really into 2021 for this company. And then in 2022, they kind of completed their portfolio transformation. So they actually did three acquisitions in the healthcare space, and they they divested a uh, consumer packaging business that they had. And So the net result is today it's 80% medical, They've got 26 of the top 30 medical device companies as customers. I think that kind of highlights the market leadership position for UFP. So now the company's just got a sustainably higher organic growth rate. Um, You know, it, it hasn't really shown through in the numbers, but I think 2023 is going to be the year you can kind of see this all come to fruition, I guess. That's kind of the growth potential uh, on the margin side. Healthcare tends to be a higher margin business for the company. Um, but I think, you know, a couple of things. One, they've made a bunch of investments the last couple of years. They're, they're going to leverage those investments through increased utilization over the next year or two. That's going to improve margins. And then this kind of singular focus on healthcare means they're going to be able to focus more on their R&D for their healthcare customers. It's going to lead to higher margin wins, but that's going to be a longer term opportunity, longer term opportunity as those business wins kind of play out. So it's, it's a fairly capital light business. Uh, they've got a clean balance sheet, less than one turn of debt, uh, so... They've got again, capacity for M&A to just add portfolio capabilities here, whether it's specialized manufacturing expertise, um, could be some offshore manufacturing expertise. Again, it could be geographic. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of M&A potential. Again, they've been acquisitive. I expect them to continue being acquisitive. Um, and again, then, you know, the last piece here is management. And I think it's a, a great management team. So CEO and CFO have been there for a very long time. They've overseen this entire portfolio transformation. Uh, the CEO owns 6% of, this, of the company, so he's aligned with shareholders. Um, I think it's just a good setup, hopefully here for the next couple of years, as the market comes to appreciate this complete business transformation they've undergone over really the last eight years.
0: Yeah, okay. Thanks for sharing that one. It, it does look a fascinating business. Okay, Christopher. Thanks so much for sharing that one, as well. Yeah. Um, we're coming up to time now. Uh, where can listeners go to find out more information about you?
1: Yeah. Um, so I've got a website. Uh, the website is Headwaters Cap Management, but uh, mgmt dot I, I publish quarterly letters. Uh, they are all posted on the website. You know, if you like kind of the business analysis I've done. You know, each letter I try to outline at least one investment and kind of go into detail over a couple pages. Um, you can also sign up for future letters there. You can also reach out to me directly through the website. Um, if there's any investors out there who like chatting ideas, I'm I'm always around. I love meeting other investors and talking about ideas. Um, same thing. If there's anybody that works at any of these companies um, that agrees or disagrees with anything I've said, uh, feel free to reach out. So yeah, website's probably the best place uh, to get in touch with me.
0: Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to uh, talk with you.
1: Thanks, John. I really appreciate it.